we ready to go? We're ready to go. So, welcome back. Uh, we're at week three. Thanks for listening so far. We we got a shout out on ABC Radio, and that was pretty cool with uh, Nan's friend Raf, who I don't know if anyone had listened, but Nan wrote in to Raf for his changing tracks and spoke about her brother who she mentioned last week. So if you'd like to listen to that, uh, let us know and I'll send you the link. Uh, but thanks, Raf, for the shout out. So I'm Kelly and this is Bernie, my nan. Hello, hello. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I just want to say that this, this is my version of events. Um, my memory is pretty good and accurate, but maybe there's the odd date or two that's not the same as what somebody else remembers. Also, it's for my grandchildren and my nieces and nephews to flesh out their ancestors. So, before we get into today's story, what would be your earliest memory? You won't believe it. I was 18 months old and I was in hospital. I'd been put into hospital for... Um, or some bowel thing I had, I can't remember. But, um, and I can remember they used to come in and I was devastated when they left. And my, I can remember standing up in my cot and screaming out, I'll pinch my cheeks, I'll pinch my cheeks. Wow. I'll pinch my cheeks. 18 months old. And this was. is when your family would leave to go home? You'd... When mum would leave, I was just, well, you know, we all are our mummy's girls at that yeah, and my mum was the most loving mother you'd ever come to. Anyway, that was my earliest memory, believe it or not, and I will cross my heart and hope to die that that was my first memory. Oh, cross your heart and pinch your cheeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so what, what, what are we talking about today? We're talking about our dad. Your dad? Yes, our dad and the family. I was going to call it our father, but it sounds as though I might be going into a prayer, and I'm not at all religious. <laughs> so it's about our dad, who in, in actual fact um, started this dynasty of you all. And he was a simple man, and he was never given credit for his part in raising the family being there all through the Depression, always being there. Anyway, we'll start off. He was born in 1889 and he had five sisters. So he was used to being bossed around by women and his mother was a very strong woman. Uh, his grandfather came out from England known as a master butcher and his uh, grandmother came from Edinburgh, a little Scottish girl, and they met and married and they settled around Portland Way. He had a butcher shop there. And they had three children, so far as I know. Um, my father, a brother, and another, a daughter. My grandfather, Dad's father, must have moved over to Melbourne and he started his own butcher shop in Ligon Street, Carlton, one of the 
first bag on street foodies it must have been wow and uh, so i'm assuming this would have been before ligon street became oh the Italian yes this was the capital. beginning of the it would have been before the 1900s because i think my father was only nine or ten when he became a one-eyed fitzroy football barracker and they had only started the club not many years before so he was one of the early one-eyed barrackers and it went on forever. They were known in that time as the gorillas. Uh, Dad was so one-eyed about Fitzroy. Uh, Grandma said she always knew when they'd won because he'd come whistling around the sideway and if they lost he'd just creep down to the dunny house down the end and sit there till somebody went and pulled him out. <laughs> That's how committed he was. So did he go to school at all? or he? Yes, he, he went to school. Um, I imagine he would have gone to the Fitzroy. I don't know, but he, he, he was an average student. He wasn't ever, uh, uh, you know, a star student. But he, he was very good with numbers. He could read and write very well. And But he was very religious. He went to Sunday school at the uh, St Peter's Anglican Church in East Melbourne, still there, and he he won lots of awards uh, for being the top of the Sunday school class. There are books throughout the family with little uh, certificates in them that he'd won. So that was that. However, as he grew older, he didn't want to be a butcher, and in the early 1900s. The automobile had arrived and he was absolutely fascinated by the automobile and he got he got into it and he learned to drive very quickly and he had one of the earliest licenses with only two numbers in it and on his license just two numbers so you can see how early that was uh, so he, he made a career in driving he yep. became a chauffeur for the yep. head man of Nestles, the famous firm and it was this was the one of the big bosses and it was always Nestles, never nestle as it is today <laughs> where where that came along i don't know it was always Nestles, <laughs> and uh, he used to um, drive this this uh, boss around and had some wonderful adventures with him and then uh, he married very young uh, to uh, a daughter of one of the other big butchers in Melbourne. And uh, she had TB. I don't know whether she had it when they married or whether she developed it, but it, the marriage only lasted two or three years. And she left a young baby and she died, leaving this young boy. And he had. TB and his system too. He had a club foot and he was mostly in hospital and then... So this was your half-brother who you mentioned? This was my half-brother Cyril. Cyril. One day he'd taken, taken the boss to some official place with stairs. Was it Parliament House? I don't know but stairs were going up and he was sitting down in the car waiting for the boss and he saw this beautiful little creature walking up. Long skirts in those days, but 
as she went upstairs it exposed her pretty ankles and he was a leg man <laughs> he jumped out of the car and went up and introduced himself to her and she was a little German migrant well he must have been convincing because he used to then pick her up in his car and drive her around she worked as a housekeeper for people in Malvern oh, when the wife died Apparently, with the religion he was in, you could not marry for two years. So there he was, a little widower. And uh, How old was he at this stage? Well, he was born in 1889, and he met my... So that's 11 years would take him up to the century, turn of the century, wouldn't it? And he met my mum about uh, 1916. So what would that be? 27. 27 and he was a widower. Her employers had gone away for holiday and he drove her home to this quite big house in Malvern and he didn't want to let her go into the house on his own. He thought there might be a naughty man under the bed. So he went in, didn't he? He became the naughty man in the bed. <laughs> so uh, they kept they were obviously in love and they kept this relationship going for a little while before long of course she was pregnant they couldn't bury so she was pregnant before they got married oh yes the baby was born before they married oh yes oh. and uh, where she, was his religion at this point when sex is involved religion <laughs> doesn't come into it haven't we seen it all? <laughs> Don't we have examples of it all over the place? <laughs> um, he was a, a lusty, red-blooded young man. <laughs> he wasn't a big, I must tell you this, he wasn't a big man, he was only five foot four, but he was strong, very, very strong and broad shoulders. Anyway, uh, soon she was pregnant and they still couldn't marry and she had the baby at the Salvation Army Hospital. The two so, years, so the two years were nearly up? I guess, during the two years they were waiting, they were uh, getting together what we used to call a glory box, which was uh, kitchen utensils and furniture and bits for the new house that you were going to have together. And my father uh, bought a lovely bedroom suite wardrobe, dressing table, and double bed. And he also bought many um, kitchen utensils. However, when they came to, they stored them in her shed. Where else? And when Who, Whose came, shed did they store them in? Grandma's shed. I mean, they, they wouldn't be paying storage. They were working kids and she had a baby. When it came for them to collect their new stuff, Grandma said, no, you can have mine, I'm having the new stuff. In those days, you didn't disagree with your mother, especially when there were five big sisters backing her up. Wow. So, Mum never got over that. Don't that blame she, her. She had Grandma's, I could remember the, the dressing table and the wardrobe, and to this day, I have Grandma's rolling pin. So they, they uh, married and Mum immediately 
got the little baby out of hospital and looked after him. And she used to have to massage his poor little leg every day. You know, she really was his mother. This was your half-brother? This was the half-brother, mm, Cyril. And, of course, already born was the first-born brother, Harold. And these two boys just were so joined together and loved each other so much. You've never seen a, a two brothers that loved each other so much and looked out for each other as these two did. So they lived in Albert Park and then uh, the war had, was just, it was 1917 when they married and my firstborn sister was born on Armistice Day the following year, 1918. And of course they stayed in hospital for two weeks then, so she was still in hospital when Armistice came up. My father was still driving, working with automobiles, and uh, my mother was became a mother then. And I won't say it was a perfect marriage, but it lasted. It lasted and they cared for each other. They were always there for each other. Pretty soon another daughter was born, Ruth, in 1921. And then another daughter was born, Joyce, in 1923. And then the twins were born in, in uh, uh, 26. I was born in 1930. Another girl was born in 33. And the final boy in 36. All this time, Dad kept our family together and all those children, it wasn't easy to feed them, particularly during the Depression times, which didn't start to come good until 35 or 1935 or so, when the girls all started work at that stage. And the family fortunes lifted a little bit. and uh, But all through that time, Dad would be up at six every morning going and looking for work throughout the Depression. And sometimes there'd be 300 men lined up for that one job. And he took any job, any job that would bring money in. And we never starved, but we didn't have it uh, luxurious. You've told me a story before about your dad having a bit of knowledge around vitamins. Ah, yes, he was very interested in homeopathy. And he uh, was a great one for, uh, uh, with my asthma, he'd be bringing home little bits and pieces to help me get over my asthma. And there was one time when he brought home some uh, herbal cigarettes. <laughs> to help with your asthma. <laughs> Can you imagine? They didn't last at all. <laughs> I don't think Mum ever lit one. <laughs> but he was told that they would be good for asthma. And he used to take Dux vomicas and all of that homeopathic stuff. I can't remember it now. But all through his life he was... Um, interested in that. Oh, I forgot to say that when he was um, in his early teens, he had rheumatic fever and it left his heart damaged. 
So he was unable to uh, join the army when the war started. He was very eager to, but he was they wouldn't take him because of his rheumatic heart. And of course he got the treatment, you know, the white feather treatment. What's the white feather treatment? Well, any man that, uh, any young man who looked able and didn't go to war, the women turned on them and said the white feathers, cowards. He got the white feather treatment, and you can imagine this with what was going on at the time. And to top it all, he married an enemy alien. But that didn't deter him. He loved my mum, and he would have gone through hellfire for her. They went on having children, as I say, right through the Depression. But he was always there. So far as I can remember, my mother had breakfast in bed every every day of her life. <laughs> and uh, he was always there for us kids. I can remember uh, we'd have, we in those days you only had a, a bath once a week and you washed your hair when you had a bath and we had long hair but no hair dryers and he was always there he used to call me Trilby and he used to say come on Trilby sit here and he had a stool at the, his foot of his knees you know, and he'd get the towel and he'd dry my hair by towel and he was always and he'd do that to the other girls too he was always there to do that sort of thing and when I had asthma in those early days I simply couldn't get my breath and I'd be on be in, lying in the bed and I just couldn't get my breath and he would wake up at two or three in the morning when he'd hear me wheezing and he'd pick me up and walk me around rubbing my back all the time and sing. he loved the Tivoli Theatre, he loved old Mo, the um, comedian and he loved all the old um, uh, songs from the uh, Tivoli's, that's, you know, the old Victorian songs. And he'd walk along rubbing my back, singing away all these funny old songs. <laughs> uh, so so he, I have great memories of him as a father, but the demon drink came into it. But it, it never stopped him. He had the greatest work ethic I have ever seen in anybody. And even though he would be drunk at night, go to bed drunk, he'd get up at six in the morning and go to work. He never missed a day. Never, ever missed a day. So... Uh, what age did he work until? <laughs> he worked until he was in his 80s. Until uh, he was in his 80s. When he um, retired from his last job, he took up delivering the pamphlets. And he used to work. He worked till his early 80s. He died at 84. And he worked till his early 80s delivering those pamphlets. He was the original little Aussie battler. During the war, he worked in the ammunition, so all the men had to work in the munitions factories to make that. And uh, uh, this helped us all come out of the Depression because there was a regular wage every week. And uh, he worked there, and uh, he'd have to catch the bus to get there. It wasn't far from home. We lived in Essen and it was in Maribyrnong. And even though he was a little man, he never backed down and would take anybody on. <laughs> he was 
had so much guts, as you call it, than you've ever seen, uh, this funny little bloke. Before that, he and another bloke invented a machine for doing retreads. Now, do you know what a retread is? Yep. Well, they invented the machine for doing the retreads. We should be rich by the sounds of it. Well, they were bought out. <laughs> they were bought out. Well, even the butcher shop would have made us rich. They were bought out by one of the big tyre factories. Now, these two boys, silly little innocents, no business sense. They knew how to do things with their hands. You can imagine what they got for it. Not, not much for the tyre factory. Bought out their machine and so on. But prior to doing that, this shows you the, the determination of Dad. He, they had retreaded a tyre for somebody who lived in Bentley. And their factory was in Flemington. In a shed, I call it a factory, it was a shed in Flemington. And came time to deliver and collect the money for this retread. He didn't have the money for the fare down to Bentley. So do you know what that little man did? Did he walk? He slung it across his shoulder and he walked from Flemington to Bentley with a tyre over his shoulder. Got the money for it and bought a ticket back. That is determination. <laughs> so, so that's a work ethic, is isn't it? Is there record anywhere of the fact that he invented this machine? I don't know. I don't know. Not in, not. I don't know of it. But it was well known. You know, it was in the fair. He, maybe the other fellow did more of the inventing and he helped him do it. You know what I mean? I don't know whether he helped with the invention. I don't know that. But I was too young at the time to even... And it, it it became a sort of oh, thing in the family. Like you know, that. Yes. So, uh, and then after that, he got a job with a tyre company. Two lovely men. They were called Richards and Gully. And uh, this company was underneath the building of 3AW. And there were quite a few little workshops there. There was an electrical workshop and a tyre workshop and on the top was 3AW and he became on very uh, uh, good terms with Nicky and Tuppy, which were the um, Roy and HG of the time. They were broadcasters on uh, 3AW and Nicky had a lovely, lovely wife called Nancy Lee and she ran the children's program on 3AW every afternoon. And because Dad would take our birth dates, you should always call it, but and we always got a few extra words on our birthday because they knew Dad. <laughs> and another funny thing on that thing was in, there was an electrical bloke and a tyre bloke, and Dad was always called Dick for some reason. Throughout his adult life, they called him Dick rather than Harold. I suppose Harold was a bit fancy. And in the electrical place was a blo another bloke called Dick. So to uh, differentiate between them, they were known as Rubber Dick and Electric Dick. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Um, that, that was that, and then the war came. He did the night shift, 
at Yarra Falls Mills, Woolen Mills, Yarra Falls Woolen Mills. He worked night shift there for quite a long time. And uh, so, were all of the kids a bit older at this stage? Oh yes, we we were. I was at work then too. Okay. We were all much older by then. Uh, I started work in '45, which was the end of the war. He travelled by train from uh, on the Ivanhoe line, and he would travel by train on that. And he'd get home, and Ivanhoe, and then there's Heidelberg after it, and in Heidelberg was the most wonderful French patisserie. And he would travel on a couple of mornings a week. Instead of getting off at Ivanhoe, he'd travel on to Heidelberg and go to this French patisserie and buy croissants for our mother. And then from Heidelberg, he could catch a bus home to Ivanhoe. And he would then take her in croissants for breakfast in bed. You know their marriage was wasn't uh, was far from a perfect marriage, but they always cared for each other, and they were always there for each other. So he's working at the mill. Working at the mill, and then he was in, he must have worked at the mill till his seventies, middle to late seventies. So was there retirement during this time? There was pension. Yes. Okay. But yes. he chose to keep working? Oh, well, your, your pension was pretty meagre. And uh, now he must have he must have stopped at the Yarra Falls at, at the pension time because you couldn't work. And that's when he took on the um, delivery stuff. Okay. And I think men retired at 65, so it must have been that. And he took on the delivery stuff. He did that for years and years and years. Uh, delivering or working all over Melbourne uh, up until he was uh, in his late 70s, beginning of 80s. And then he just became very, very ill. In his 70s, he had another love affair. He met another woman. No. Yes. Uh, and he met another woman. Mum had died. Okay. Mum died in 1968. Eight, and not long after, four four years or so after, he met this other woman, much younger than him, in her fifties, and she'd uh, been married. She'd had a son, and she had a nice house somewhere, forked away or that area, and uh, he took her out and lunch. He brought her home. I can remember her coming home and being very shy when she was introduced. And uh, eventually he moved in with her into the house. And so the he's our house, uh, my husband and I had been buying the house that he and mum had originally had, but they'd only rented it. And then we bought it. And then when he moved out of, to go in with his new love, uh, we decided that we would sell the house, and that's when we bought the shop. Okay. And... Uh, and this was from Ivanhoe, was this it? This was from Ivanhoe. And he um, was with her for a while, but of course 
he's drinking as he got older became more worse and worse and uh, after a while his, her son kicked him out. We'd have never sold if I thought this was going to happen and we didn't have room in the shop for him. Uh, I think he rented for a while and then he got very, very sick. And uh, so eventually, and then he was, became ill, and then Ruth and Bert took him down to live with them down at Point Cook. And he lived with them till he got so ill that he had to go into hospital. And he died at 84, died in his sleep. Had all sorts of things wrong with his throat. I don't, I don't really know what he died from, whether it was cancer or just old age or, or multiple stuff, you know. No doubts on the death certificate. So that was my dad. What a life. Our father. But he was a strong man to the end. He was a strong man. And his children always were his life. His children and his wife. I can remember on the weekends when I was in the shop, Stan would go and pick him up and bring him home and I would make his favourite. He loved shanks, lamb shanks. And I'd make his favourite lamb shanks and he loved a suet pudding. I'd make him a suet pudding and a Swiss roll. He loved a Swiss roll. So I'd make all his favourite on a Saturday night and Stan would go and pick him up and have the, and then take him back again. And uh, it was very sad to have to take him back, but there was just absolutely no way he could live with us. So that was that. That was our father. That was that. But I don't think any of the grandchildren ever heard his full story and what a strong bloke he was and because and I'll never forget when the boys died especially the first one who was shot it's the first time I saw him cry I'll never forget that that uh, his tears and his broken heart and then within 12 months the other boy had died too so you can imagine what the family was like. Yep. So we might leave it there for today. I've said all I need to say. I mean, there's lots and lots that could be said about him, but that's enough to get the picture of the man for the kids to know that he wasn't just Harold Willoughby, born 1889, died 1970s. Four, I think, yeah. So, you know, there's enough for them to uh, build out a, a person, isn't there? A man. A strong man. So maybe in the next talk we can get to know your mum. That's what I thought. I'll give her a story next time. So until then... Thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. We hope that you're enjoying it. I'm certainly getting a lot out of hearing about the family and the history and who people were and what they were like. And aside from that, it's just nice sitting and chatting with Nan. And even though I was reluctant to have it go out, I'm quite excited about it now. 
a media star. <laughs> oh dear. No, no, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Uh, am I enjoying it? I don't know. It brings back so many memories that, uh, but I think they should be, they should be uh, known to the children. I'm wanting it for the children. I think they're very interesting yeah, stories yeah, that should be yeah. shared and told. Yes, for the for the family anyway. If other people are interested in it, well, that's that's good. It's all history of the time. Absolutely, it is. Mm. And I'm just I'm so glad that you have such a good memory. Well, thank you for sharing yet another memory. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll chat with you again next week. Until then, bye. <laughs>